0: Well, I'm going to tell you, let's see, give me a moment. I've Always wanted to know what it felt like to be Scott. <laughs> the only horror is I'd have to be married to Connie. <laughs> That's between me and Connie. That's, uh, <laughs> we met in seminary. I took my 19-year-old bride, just been married a little over a year from Panama City, Florida, all the way out to Fort Worth, Texas. By the way, she cried for three weeks. (laughs) When we left Fort Worth, Texas and moved back to Florida, she cried for three weeks. (laughs) She had so fallen in love. But we got there, and and Connie reminded me earlier that... uh, you know, being, uh, being good Baptist and, and all. We didn't bar hop when we got to Fort Worth. We church hopped uh, because those first few weeks you're in seminary, all these churches want to impress the seminary people uh, by serving you lunch, you know. So we just find out who's serving a seminary lunch, and that's where we'd go to church, you know. I mean, real spiritual about how we pick churches, you know what I mean. Well, we met Scott and Connie at, at one of those lunches. And, uh, later on, a few weeks later, we ended up joining a church, Sagamore Hill Baptist Church, and, uh, had not seen Scott and Connie in a while, and before long, all of a sudden, they showed up at Sagamore Hill Baptist Church, and before you knew it, they had joined Sagamore Hill Baptist Church, and wanted you to know, the four of us will always be Sagamorons. (laughs) (laughs) To tell you the truth, I probably feel like the old rookie, relief pitcher, who all of a sudden has been called into the ball game. The ace of the staff has been pitching a no-hitter, and yet for some reason, they want a rookie to come in and finish the task. I asked about the way I feel this morning. I know after that quartet singing, Scott's probably ready to preach. He'd love to be up here, so I count it a privilege to stand here before you today and ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, as we want to take a look about the strength of love. A group of uh, children, uh, ages 4 through 8, were asked, what does love mean? And their answers vary from the amusing to the profound. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Love is when you go out and eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give any of theirs to you. Love is what's in the room when you at Christmas, if you stop opening your presents and just listen. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. (laughs) Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even though his hands have got arthritis too. That's love. When you tell someone something bad about yourself and and you're scared that they won't love you anymore, but then you get surprised because not only do they still love you, They love you even more. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says that he is handsomer than Denzel Washington. (laughs) There you go, guys. Love is when your puppy licks you even though you left him alone all day. Love, like Valentine cards, say stuff on them that we'd like to say ourselves but we wouldn't be caught dead saying them. There are two kinds of love, our love, God's love, but God makes both kinds of them. Now, folks, I want to tell you, I think maybe those four- to eight-year-olds, some of them uh, got a better grasp on love than maybe we do. Don't you think, some of us adults? Be it 15 years at a church, that is awesome. You're to be commended as a church to love and care and hang on to a pastor. And Kevin, your youth minister, told me he'd been here over seven years, or right at seven years. So not only has Scott been here a long time, but you've obviously built a staff. And I don't know the number of years uh, of your other staff members, but I've been around in and out visiting Scott and Connie. Donna and I have uh, since they've been here, and you've got a great staff. I know when Scott came here uh, 15 years ago, if I remember correctly, y'all were probably running into two, high 2 to low 300s, and I looked at last week's attendance and it was over 600. Seems like the church has doubled or more in these last 15 years. Those are awesome statistics. Those are indications of a, of a church that is working at least hard at loving one another and a good church a strong church a growing church in fact in most uh, state conventions this would be considered a large if not a small mega church but before the term mega church was ever conceived Charles Hadley Spurgeon pioneered a mega church right in the heart of London England When he was just 20 years of age, the the New Park Street Church in London called him to be their pastor. And God began to move in the midst of that church. And soon people were coming in such large numbers uh, that the church building couldn't hold them. So they constructed a new building, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, that would seat 6,000 people, which was absolutely unheard of uh, in, in that day. And they got to where they were filling it twice Every Sunday for 31 years, Scott, you got to get about 16 more to go to, to match Brother Charles Spurgeon. I think you can do it, my friend. For 31 years, he served that church. Many would call him uh, the prince of of preachers, but he would be the first to tell you that the source of of strength for the church and its success wasn't in any special programs or any new ideas. It was not in the words that he preached left uh, to their own accord. They were just words. But there was a greater source of strength. So what was it? What gave that church in London, England such power? Well, the story goes that one Sunday, five college students uh, who were preparing for the pastoral ministry, they arrived at the Metropolitan Tabernacle to hear uh, Pastor Surgeon speak. And uh, and, uh, while they were waiting for the church doors to open, Charles Spurgeon himself approached them and asked if they'd like to see the powerhouse of that church. And they they were delighted uh, to to learn. They were excited about that idea. And they said, yes, sir, please tell us, show us, where's the power for this church? And so Pastor Spurgeon led them through a long hallway and down the stairs. And at the bottom of the stairs, he, he cautiously opened the door to a room. When the five young men looked in, they were astonished. Because, you see, they were astonished to see 700 church members bowed in prayer, asking God for his blessings on the upcoming service. That, said Spurgeon, is our powerhouse. And today we want to take a look at a prayer of the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians chapter 3. Starting in verse 16 and going through verse 19, I'm asking you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. If you've never done it, one of the greatest studies you can ever do would be to go through the books that the Apostle Paul wrote and read and study his prayers. Picking up in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches... A powerful prayer. Maybe a prayer that's much Very much unlike the kind of prayers that you often hear uh, in prayer meetings. I don't know about y'all's prayer meetings. Most churches I've served in, the the, the prayer list focuses around how many people are sick or hurt and not in church. And and there's nothing wrong with that. There's certainly a lot of scripture that encourages us to pray for one another, to pray for our needs, to, to, to pray for the things that are going on in our lives. But the Apostle Paul takes intercessory prayer, I believe, to just a little bit higher level when he praised this prayer for the Ephesians and and this is something I think we ought to grasp hold of the the strength of love let's look at it first as he prayed uh, about us having this love he, he he prayed first of all that that out of God's glorious riches that he may strengthen us with power through his spirit the the Power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, as seen here in verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, Lord, out of your glorious riches, Paul desires that, that, that God would answer, would hear and answer this prayer on the basis of all that God has in heaven. Guys, you're probably like me, sometimes when we're asked a question, we, we half-heartedly listen. And the answer we give reflects that. You, you know, it, it may have gone like this in your house recently. You, you know what I'm, I'm talking about here, your wife, I ask you the question, dear, did you take out the trash? And you answer, all right, love, right after Duck Dynasty is over, I'll make sure the computer didn't crash. No, no, dear, the trash, the trash. Did you take out the trash? Yes, love, my sunglasses are on the dash. And you know where all that trouble leads, don't you? Well, listen, God never half-heartedly listens to our prayers. He, He acts out of his glorious riches. Listen to this verse about God and His glory. Psalms 24, verses 7 and 8. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Listen, God always has more glory than you and I have need. He answers In a way that may not be always the way that we hope. May not be what we're expecting. But listen, God will always answer on the basis of His glorious riches. And His answer to your prayer will always be right and always exactly what you need. And if you and I can grasp this truth to start with this morning, then we're well on our way to have the strength of love that that comes from Christ daily operating in our lives. And and he, and he says, Lord, on the basis of these riches, would you give us power or strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the, and the power are always closely linked in the Apostle Paul's writings. And First Thessalonians 1, 5, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And you know how we lived among you for your sake. First Corinthians 2, 4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul had another prayer in in Ephesians and and in chapter 1 verse 17 he, he prays that this Holy Spirit is the one who imparts a wisdom and a revelation so that you and I may know God better. And and then here we see God's Spirit also bringing us the strength we need in our daily lives through His power, which, of course, we know to be God's power. And where does God, where does the Apostle Paul pray that this power ought to reside? Well, he says that, that, that he hopes that this strengthening of us may be in our inner being, in the Inner man, if you will. This is the the, the core of who we are, the seat of personal consciousness, the the, the seat of of moral being. It is uh, who we are and what we do when no one else is looking spiritually. Our inner man is that part of us that struggles with our sinfulness in general and with our sins in particular. The part of us that can identify with the Apostle Paul when he said these words, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is. It is no longer I myself who does it. But it is sin living in me. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. In fact, the Apostle Paul gets to the place where he just finally exclaims, What a wretched man am I. Have you ever been there before God? Have you ever been That totally honest where you'd just cry out to God, what a wretched man I am today, God. Well, the good news is is that Paul knew that even if we won't admit it, can't admit it, or don't admit it, he knew that we have been, that we are, that someday we will be in that position, in that state of wretchedness. And so he has prayed for strength to come upon us from the power of the Holy Spirit so that you and I might be able to proclaim right along with Paul, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Think of it like this. Sin spiritually is like a hurricane that just comes in and just devastates everything in its path. You've been there, haven't you? You know what sin can do to you spiritually. But listen, then the Holy Spirit comes in like a disaster relief team. And he cleans up. He removes the damage. He has the power to restore our lives. And he has a plan for this restoration. What is the Holy Spirit's plan? He wants our hearts cleaned up and readied for the owner of the house. Jesus Christ So let's take a look at the fact that Our hearts are in fact Christ's dwelling place Verse 17 he goes on to say So that Christ May dwell in your hearts Through faith The purpose of the strength we need From the Holy Spirit is so that Spiritually we are prepared to receive The indwelling presence Of Christ You see our faith which is, in fact, a gift from God, is the doorway to our heart. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and they with me. Listen, Christ is always ready to help us spiritually he wants to rule and reign as Lord over our lives and everything that Paul has prayed so far leads up to Christ having access to our hearts the The focus here is is not on that initial indwelling of Christ when you confess your sins for the very first time and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and acknowledge that He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for for, for my sins. That's, That's not the focus. But the focus is on the idea of Christ continually dwelling in our hearts. Of course, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ today, now, right now would be a great time. It's really simple to have a relationship with God because He has done it all. He's even sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and guilt. And so if there's a little, a little voice in your, your mind right now, a little voice in your heart that's, that's trying to get your attention and tell you there's things in your life that don't add up, that come short of the glory of God, those things are sin. And the Holy Spirit wants to bring you to the place where you're ready to ask God for the forgiveness of your sins, to confess to Him that you fall short of His glory, to ask for His forgiveness, and then to repent, to say, Lord, I've been going spiritually this way. Now I want to turn. I want to always be moving towards You, Heavenly Father. I want a relationship with You that ever draws me closer day by day. I want Jesus... To do his work in my life. And if you do that, if you've never done that and you do that today, today, God will do everything else that it takes for you to have a personal relationship with him. But now, for each of us who already belong to God through this faith, this prayer is for us to have the spiritual strength from the Holy Spirit so that our inner man is prepared for Christ to live in us. You see, if and when Christ has taken up residence in our hearts, he is at the center of our living, influencing our personalities, influencing our thoughts, our wills, our emotions, and whatever else lies at the core of our being. Let me ask you to be introspective for a moment. Let me issue you a caution. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. So right now in your introspection, don't try to look at your own heart, but try to ask the Holy Spirit to look at your heart and tell you the truth. Because I want to ask you this question. Is your heart like a motel room for God that he's always checking into and out of? Or is it like the guest room of your house where family's always welcome, but it's not Christ's permanent dwelling place? Or is your heart Christ's home? You know what it takes for a house to be a home. You know when you first move in and you grow up in darkness, maybe even stubbing your toe on the furniture, or you got to turn on the lights all the time so you know where you're going. But then after, after you've been in the new house for a while and it becomes your home, you can walk about anywhere you want to go in pitch blackness because you know where everything is, don't you? It's your home. Can Christ walk around in your heart and not stub his toe on the furniture? Is he at home in your life today? all Christians, if he's not, listen, this prayer is for you today. God wants to make sure that you get this prayer, and he wants out of his glorious riches to impart to you the the strength you need so that your heart may be prepared for Christ to make his home there. And, And what's the... We're building to a pinnacle. What's next? I mean, if that's not enough, and certainly that's great, that's enough, but so that you and I might know the love that passes knowledge. And verse seven, last part of verse 17 through verse 19, you see, when Christ dwells in our heart, he is love. When Christ dwells in our heart, love permeates our inner man. And Paul's prayer is that we would then be rooted and, and grounded in, in, in love. And we know that while roots also, they, they provide nutrition to a tree, we also know that the roots is what holds a huge tree up in the midst of the storms. Out in front of our first house in seminary was this huge, I, I, I mean, huge oak tree. I, that thing was just one of the biggest ones I'd ever seen. We don't get them here in the south like they do in the southwest, and especially Texas, but they have these things called nor, uh, nor'easter or blue northerners, blue northerners. And it's a huge wind that starts up in Canada. And listen, folks, there's nothing between Fort Worth, Texas, and the Canadian line to slow that stuff down. I, I mean, there's no trees, there's, no, there's not hardly any grass out there to slow it down. We were experiencing one of those blue northerners, 100-mile-an-hour straight-line winds, and that oak tree went over. Fortunately, it didn't hit the, the duplex. But I went out after the storm was over, and I stood there. And the root ball, the roots of that tree, was taller than I was. An amazing root system so that it could sustain a tree that had been that big and had been there that long. And the Apostle Paul knew, he says, that he wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. Paul's prayer is that as Christ dwells in our heart, that his love would ground us, that it would be the foundation on which our lives would be built spiritually. Christ is called our cornerstone. And then everything in our lives that is good is built around Christ living then in our hearts. And the strength and the power of love comes to light again here uh, in, in verse 18. Let me find verse 18 in May that we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Right here in the middle of this prayer, the Apostle Paul throws in. That together, with all the saints, that we might have the power to know the great vastness of Christ's love. Paul was ever a, a champion of the local church and the local gathering of Christians together. And here he implies that the only way that we will fully know the vastness of Christ's love is through our togetherness. And that's what makes Cornerstone, or Pitts Baptist Church, so special. Folks, you are in this community the reflection of the vastness of God's love. Together, working together, ever doing all the things that God would call this church to do. Whether it's upward basketball or upward something else, soccer or whatever it would be. and you know, The women's ministries, the men's ministries, the RAs, the GAs, the, the, the youth ministry. the family retreat that's being planned. It is all, should all be for the purpose that together, you saints together, ever in increasing measure, understanding and sharing the vastness of Christ's love. Once we grasp then how great is Christ's love. Then the Apostle Paul goes on to say that we can have a knowledge of Christ's love. A love that surpasses knowledge. Now now, now that sort of seems to be a contradiction, doesn't it? But listen. The truth about God's love is this. The only way to truly know His love is to experience His love. Look, you can read about God's love all you want to, and there's a multi-million dollar book business today in the world to help you with that intellectual pursuit. But until by faith you abandon yourself to Christ and spiritually work in your relationship with Christ, you will not know the love of Christ as Christ desires for you to know it. Too often, we get too soon satisfied spiritually. If we're not careful, We'll focus more on the nuts and the bolts of religious activity than we do our very relationship with God. Look, my friends, God doesn't want you to be merely religious today. He doesn't want you to just come to church and fill a square to mark it off and say, All right, I'm done with my God thing. I you know, I got the rest of my life to live this next week. No. Listen, God wants a relationship with you. So that out of every day there's an ever-growing relationship with Him in which He loves and cares for you. And you love Him and honor Him with your awe and your obedience. And obedience is prompted by love. And the prayer request of the Apostle Paul then comes to a high and lofty conclusion. That you may be filled to the measure Of all the fullness of God. I rewrote that a little bit. For you and I to be fully full of God's fullness. How can we stay spiritually strong so that Christ may dwell in our hearts? How can we experience the great vastness of Christ's love and know by experience in ever increasing ways this love? It's easy. (laughs) By being fully full. Of the fullness of God. All the fullness of God means to allow God to fill you with all of his perfection, his presence, his life, his power. And then the strength of love is complete in us. When we have reached the place spiritually where we completely surrender to the presence and the work of God, the fullness of God in our lives. And the awesome truth for you and me is that God is completely dedicated To that very thing. He's dedicated to cleaning out our hearts. So Christ may dwell there. He's dedicated to us having a relationship. In which we experience his love. That surpasses knowledge. And marshaling all of his glorious riches. In the heavenly realm. God is working. So that you and I may be full of him. And made complete in him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. As you see, if we've walked through this prayer. If you know there's something of one of these prayer requests that's missing in your life, would you ask God for it right now? Would you ask Him to speak to you through His Spirit? To show you, well, maybe it's called a room in your heart that the door's closed, and God's been knocking on it. Christ has been wanting to get in there. The power of the Spirit has been wanting to get into that part of your life and clean it up so that God would have complete access to fill it up with His fullness so that you might know the love of Christ, the vastness, the greatness that you might have by experience a new part of God's love in your life. Would you surrender that part to him today? And if you know that Christ is not on the inside. He's on the outside and he's been knocking and he's been asking for entrance. He, he wants to buy your heart if you will. He, he wants to pay the price for your sins. And, and he wants to get in and, and have a relationship with you and you with him. And you don't have that relationship. Well, please, if you haven't prayed, would you do so now? Would you pray? Open that door. Invite God in. Father, hear our prayers. Lord, as long as we live on this earth, we know we know that all that prayer request, all those requests will, will not be. Totally completed in us, but, but Lord, we know that the final answer to that prayer is that moment when we walk into glory, and we're forever cleansed of all of our sins. We're redeemed, as the quartet sang about. And in that moment, we'll be fully full of your fullness. until that day, may your strength, your power, may the dwelling of Christ in our hearts cause us to experience your love in ever-increasing measures. And with every increase, we find ourselves yielding more and more of ourselves to you your glory, for our good. Let this prayer be made manifest in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Kevin is coming. Brother Jonathan is coming to lead us in a time of invitation, and this is the invitation If the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart in these last few minutes, and, and, and he wants you to make public a decision that you've made, maybe in prayer just now. Christ said, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before the Heavenly Father. Listen. If you know Christ is prompting you, the Holy Spirit's working on you, and you need to make a response to the Holy Spirit, you do so, you come and take Kevin's hand, and you tell him what God has put on your heart. Maybe it's become a member of Pitts Road Baptist Church, or you know, maybe it's to rededicate your life. Maybe, maybe it's just come and, and pour out your heart on, uh, on, on the front here before the Lord. Just kneel down and get before him in and, and prayer and, and worship as, as we sing and as we have this time of invitation, this time for us to respond to what we've heard the Spirit saying today as we come.